The devil is our ever-present adversary. He's not God's adversary because God is in control of all. But the devil is our adversary and we must be on guard because we're in a battle. Every day, every hour, every minute, we've got to be aware that the nature of our battle is one that he desires to destroy us. Let me remind you again from Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our chief adversary is the devil. I remember so often growing up hearing Flip Wilson say, the devil made me do it. After much scrutiny and examination, some theologians said that's probably true. Because he gives us options and sometimes we choose the wrong options and we choose to follow what the devil tells us to do. Very often we see the cartoon growing up where the devil's on one shoulder and an angel's on the other. But the reality is that dualism is not between God and evil. That fight was won on Calvary. Jesus won the battle. But we still have the opportunity to choose in this life. And we have to choose to follow Christ. We can't be compelled or forced to do that. Because love's a choice. You can't be forced to love anybody. You have to choose to do that. And God gives us that freedom. So therefore, if there's a choice to do good, there's also a choice to do evil. And many times people forget that Satan is there tempting us at all times. Luke 4 tells us, it said, And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Those are the words of Satan speaking to Jesus just after he had come back from 40 days in the wilderness of fasting. And Satan said, you don't have to go through all this. You don't have to die. I'll I'll surrender to you. Just fall down and worship me. You say, that's ludicrous. How could God worship the devil? That's exactly what Satan wanted to throw before him. In the same way, he tempts you to do that which is impractical, impractical, impossible, and unbelievable. Many times people follow him. I remind you that Jesus answered that with a quote from Deuteronomy. I know a book you read quite often, as do I. He said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What a great statement, because so often we serve the wrong individual. We serve Satan. Herein is the problem. The world has failed that test. Over and over and over again. Many in the world worship the devil for gain. They'll do anything to get a little bit more money, a little bit more power, a little bit more of the material things they want in life. And they'll sell, literally, their soul to the devil to do that. But what is sad is Christians fail this test. And we understand that as we talked two weeks ago about the world and how it impacts us, and last week about the flesh and how it intimidates us. But today I want to talk about the devil and understand fully what he is doing. I've always studied the Civil War, and reading the other day about the Battle of Antietam, 
1862. The, the battle lasted all of 12 hours, yet it ranks as one of the bloodiest during the American Civil War. 10,000 Confederate casualties and even more Union soldiers died in that battle. It was said that at the last sun as it went down and the battle ended, a historian said, smoke heavy in the air and the twilight quivering with the anguished cries of thousands of wounded men. And through the whole thing, many people said it was a draw, the battle was, but they went back and they looked and they realized that Union General George McClellan was able to end the brilliant Robert E. Lee's thrust into Maryland by that. But you know how he did it? Someone had smuggled to him the plans that Lee's had. And every time Lee would move one direction, he would move a front there and block him. You ever feel like that's happening in your life, that that Satan knows too much about you and, and he knows your weaknesses and he goes after you? In some aspects, that's exactly what Satan does. He wants to destroy us. He can't take away our salvation, but he can make our lives so miserable that we're ready to give up. C.S. Lewis said that there are two great mistakes we make when it comes to evil. Number one, to be too fascinated with it, and the other is to deny it altogether. And many people do one or both at different times in their life. Remember this as we were given these words in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in proper time, casting your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. You can't do battle with Satan. You're not as smart as he is. You don't know everything he knows, and you're certainly not as powerful as he is. But understand this. He is coming after us. You know, it's, it tells us that, that uh, we're to be, uh, have a sober spirit and we're to be alert because the adversary, our adversary, the devil, comes after us like a roaring lion. Those two, two verbs there are powerful, sober and alert. Because these are two words that are kind of different, yet they're the same. Don't be caught sleeping, pay attention, that's important, but don't let your guard down. Don't let Satan deceive you. He will make you think that the fight is yours and that the enemy is evil and it may very well be your friend and neighbor in the pew with you. It may be your best friend in your family. It may be your co-worker. He loves to do that, to pit person against person and cause us to destroy what God wants us to do. He's a roaring lion. A roaring lion, you only hear a lion when he's about to pounce. Before that, he's very focused. He's an apex predator. He knows what he's doing. He's watching. He's vigilant. He's focused. And he roars just before he attacks. It says your adversary, your accuser, and, and the word accuser is so powerful here because it's, it, it's a word that lets us know that he is constantly making accusations against us. That was happening in the first of the book of Job. God was meeting with some angels and, and Satan appeared there. And God already knew what was going on in Satan's mind because God knows everything. And he he looked at him and he said, are you considering my servant Job? 
Because there's none like him anywhere. And, and, and Satan says, of course, of course he loves you. You give him everything. Take that away and he'll curse you to your face. That's quite an accusation. In fact, the reality is the greatest gossip in the whole world is Satan. Because he loves to spew negative, bitter vitriol that, that tears apart. But God looked at him and he said, I'll allow you, but you can't take his life away. I'll prove to you who he really is. Now here's the reality. Job was tested greatly. He lost everything that mattered to him. But he still didn't walk away from God. He loved God. And he knew God loved him. In spite of all the pain and the suffering and the violence and the anger. He knew that. Even when his own friends had turned against him. He knew God loved him. We've all been through storms like that. We prayed and prayed and our lives were not rescued. We suffer. We go through tragedies that are insurmountable. They're life-changing. Satan loves to make us think we're the only ones suffering, which is not true. And he loves to make us think that God hates us, which also is equally not true. Satan loves to, to mess with us, to play with us, to distract us. He can't steal your salvation, but he can make you live as if you have never been saved at all. He can make you literally turn your back on God. Free will is important. We have to have it. Without it, we can't give true worship to God. We have to choose to do that. You know, God is always with us. We encounter him wherever we go. And, and sometimes we forget that in the best of times, Satan will come after us. There's no vacation for the believer from the evil one because he wants to destroy who and what we are. The devil wants to rob the believer of his joy, of his witness, and of his reward. And he will do everything he can to do that in your life. Satan is not trying to deceive God. He can't deceive God. God is all-knowing. He's everywhere at once. He's all-wise. He's all-powerful. He can't deceive God. But he certainly can use his techniques to deceive us. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes. What, how he deceives us. The first way, I think, is this. Satan knows that our nature is bent toward believing wrong things about right people. Everybody likes juicy, juicy gossip. They do. I mean, everybody does. It's a human attitude sometimes to want to see the, the spectacular. In the journalism trade, they say this, if it bleeds, it leads. That's why you, you don't hear stories about firemen saving kittens out of trees on the front page of a paper. You hear about disasters. If we had a paper that, that published every day what was going on in Selma today, it would tell you about the fire down at Franklin Street and, and Dallas Avenue last night that burned up several properties there. It would tell you about the fire in a school that, that uh, we still not got all the information on. It would tell you about... Heavens to Betsy, I'm glad it didn't happen two years ago. The toilet paper burned up at Walmart. I hope they've got replacements. 
They're not going to tell you the good things that happen. They're not going to tell you the positive things that happen. They're not going to tell about the kids that went to the nursing home and helped to take care of the residents there. It's not going to tell you about the people that helped clean out a yard of someone that was not able to do that. It's not going to give you the positive things. No, no. Unfortunately, sometimes when we go to our basis mode in life, we're just like Satan. We like gossip. We say bad things. We wouldn't dare go back to the person, like Matthew 18 says, and make it right with them. No, we'd rather spread it. And it's sad. If I had the energy, Jeff, to do everything I've been accused of doing in ministry, I'd be exhausted and dead a long time ago. That's the reality of it. Because there are always people that are willing to do the work of the devil and accuse. But God wants us to be free from that. He doesn't want us to follow after that. Ephesians 4 says, be angry and yet sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Settle any differences you have. Don't allow any, any things to separate you. You should, you know, we're standing here before the Lord's table, and we're going to observe this. And by the way, this is not the table of First Baptist Church. This is not a Baptist uh, Lord's Supper. This is a Christian Lord's Supper. For everybody here that, that names the name of Christ as their Savior and Lord. But before we go to this table, we must be cleansed and prepared because Scripture warns us many people that have gone to this table not prepared, not forgiven of their sins, have been sick in some sleep. And that's not the pleasant sleep. That's the sleep being dead. It's important for us to have our sins confessed before we come to this table. To have our wrongs righted. And therefore, I tell you, revival is not about people walking down the aisle when the preacher is standing down here. Revival sometimes is people walking across the aisle and making things right with one another. That's what revival really is. You may want to consider that before you take these elements because God considers it very important to do that correctly. The second thing Satan does is he knows that if, we can get, if he can get us away from the body of Christ, half his battle is won. If he can move us out of the fold of the body of Christ and isolate us, he can destroy us. That's, that's why growing up watching uh, some of the shows, I, I love, did y'all watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom growing up. Remember that? Always loved that. Always loved it. And, and you know, when, when, they were, when any apex predator like a lion or, or, or a cheetah or any of those were after a herd of anything, they'd always go after them and they'd get them moving. And when they got them moving, they'd find the weak one, the lost one, the distracted one. And they'd move that one away from the herd and they'd all go after that one because they knew that was the one they could catch and destroy. Satan will want to move you away. This is something that can happen as simple as, as sitting in your easy chair or laying in bed at night. You can begin to think and Satan will begin to run you into all sorts of places. You'll play what I call the what if game. You know, what if this happens, or what if this happens, or, or what if this doesn't happen as it should, or what if this goes the wrong way. And you can spend your whole night wondering about what's going to happen to you. And Satan will run you all over the place. He will literally leave you exhausted going through the emotions of struggling with those ideas. Satan loves to do that. 
It's the same logic I said, you know, people will say, well, you know, I'll show them. I don't like the way they treat me. I'll just, I'll just leave church. I'll just go away. I just won't be there anymore. I've heard people say that many times, and that's the same philosophy that people have when they say, well, you know, I'm kind of hurting, but I'm not going to go see the doctor. You know, if I don't go see the doctor, it's, it's not going to be real. And so people don't go back to church because they don't want to, to face the reality that, hey, we need to make this thing right. There's nothing wrong with that. I noticed last night as I saw the fire down the street at the end of Dallas Avenue, the firemen were all going in one direction. They were running to the fire, not away from it. As Christians, we're supposed to do the same thing. If, if something is wrong or something's bad, if there's some word there that, that, that's separating, we're to run to that and straighten it out, not run away from it. And that's a hard lesson for us to learn. But we've got to understand the importance of that. Thirdly, we blame God for not fixing what we have broken. You ever thought about that? We go out in life and we make poor choices or we, we do the wrong thing and, and then we want God to fix it for us. And, and Satan loves to remind us, oh, he, you know, your God loves you so much, how come this is wrong in your life? And we blame God for things that are not his fault. We try to bargain with God. God, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll spend five minutes a morning with you in devotion if you'll just fix this problem. Here's the reality. We were the problem to begin with. And what we do is not bargain with God. What we need to do is, and I love that word, the word repent means surrender. Surrender. Put your hands up and admit, I don't know what to do. And that's what we need to do. We need to surrender to God and say, God, don't give me another chance to fix this. I keep breaking it every time I do it. Lord, I surrender. I want you to lead me. I want you to help me make the right choices. Whether you're struggling with, with choosing the right career or the right school to go to or the right person to date or the right life partner, whatever it is, surrender to him. Don't say, God, bring me this or give me that. No, say, God, I want to give my life to you and you alone and you will decide for me what is best. Now, Satan loves for us to blame God for what we have broken. But the last one is ever so important. Please hear this if you don't hear anything else. We make God the enemy and we cut Satan free many times. We want to blame God for not getting what we want in life. Something happens that's incredulous and frustrating and we want to blame God for that. And, and then we forget about what Satan's done and he just walks off and laughing. Because he's been the one that's been creating the problems for us. You know, it's unusual, and, and, and I say this just so you'll understand it. There's a phrase that so many people are hung up on, and it's called the unpardonable sin. And everybody wonders about that, and, and all sorts of secular books, and all sorts of, of, of groups that, that have no understanding of God and really don't care to, they'll bring up this subject, the unpardonable sin. What is the unforgivable, the unpardonable sin? I can tell you very simply what it is. The unpardonable sin, in fact, I, to get the definition right from the horse's mouth, I Google it, and it came right out of the Oxford English Dictionary. The unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or, 
and, and blasphemy means to ridicule and to attribute the works of God or his Holy Spirit to the devil or the works of devil, the devil attribute those to God. That's what blasphemy is. And here's the danger of blasphemy. It's not something, it's not like going up and pushing a button and a bomb going off. That's not what it means. It means if you start down the road to blaming God for all the bad things in your life and not seeing that he is the one that's blessed you and kept you and watched over you and you attribute all the evil that Satan has done to God, guess what? You will never find your way to a loving, giving Savior. That's the unpardonable sin. Once you start down that road, how do you get back from there? It's easy to be bitter and angry in life. I've been there. I've struggled with things that, that, that seemingly God could have touched and changed. But amazingly, now that I've lived for years, I realize that if God could have reached down and changed it, that would mean that God would have a weakness. And I'll tell you what I'm saying by this. It would mean that God has a weakness. God wants to prove that he's all-powerful. And you know how he does that? He takes those bad things that happens to us and he uses them for his benefit. He strengthens us through the storms of life. He, he readies our mind to prepare for the future and what to do. I look around and I know I've got some farmers today that aren't here. They're, they're working and that's where they're supposed to be right now. I've got a couple of them up there that are sitting still. And, and y'all are awake, guys, and I'm proud because I know how, how hard you've worked this week. But I know this about farmers. I grew up around and on a farm. If a farmer doesn't learn from his mistakes, he's not going to be a farmer for very long. When a situation happens, even if it's something totally out of your control, you, you make a mental note. I need to make sure that, that, that I zig rather than zag at this point, or I make this decision rather than that one. And that's so important. That's how you remain in farming. That's how you remain in business. But as a Christian, if you're not careful when you complain and you gripe and, and, and you say, God, if you love me, you do this, and why did you do that? What we need to do is say, Lord, I love you and I trust you beyond all things and I know that there's a reason in this and therefore I will be still, worship you, and let you teach me. When we do that, Satan is totally shut down. Now the devil is that way. He works in our heart. He wants to mess with you. He's not worried about the world. He's not, he's not in Washington, D.C. or New York or Chicago running things there. He's certainly not in Hollywood. He's got that thing sewed up. No, he's here. He's here today with you. He's making you struggle and doubt. He's putting you in situations that you never thought you'd ever face. And he's making you doubt God. The devil has some limitations. He doesn't know everything that our God knows. He's not all-powerful. Satan has to get permission to touch us. That's why when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we, we say, Lord, keep the hedges high. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protect us from the evil one because we know what he's about. Luke 22, Jesus looked in the face of Simon Peter, knowing all that, that he would go through. And he said, Simon, Simon, Satan 
has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan looked at him, his bold, brash statements that, oh, everybody else will leave you, but I won't, Lord. I'll be the last. And, And I mean, he was so bold that he actually rebuked the Lord when he said something. Satan was sitting back thinking, I'm going to have fun with this one. And he did. But thankfully, the Spirit of God surrounded him, lifted him up, and restored him. I don't know what you're going through today. Don't need to know. But I do know this. You've got a God that loves you. And you've got a Satan that despises you. Make sure that you cling to your Savior. Stay close to him. Don't allow anything to separate you from him. Understand that it's the purpose of Satan to destroy you. But through Christ, you can be victorious. Don't let discouragement cheat you from your greatest opportunities in life and shut down your chance to be a blessing to your family and to yourself. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understandings Acknowledge Him in everything, and He, God, will direct your paths. Let us pray. Father, I thank You so much this morning that You have blessed us with all spiritual blessings from above. And we will not be ignorant about the evil one, for we know that He desires to destroy us. We will not pretend that that we've not allowed Him into our lives in ways that when we were angry or we were bitter, we allowed Him to speak for us. Yet we can have the victory even now if we will trust you, Lord. And I call on that. Lord, if there's anyone here within the sound of my voice that's seeking to be closer to you and and they have a decision to make, this is the time of decision. I pray that your spirit would speak to them even now. Lord, bless them and give them the wisdom to do that which is right. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.